Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rubble without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I'm sure for a lot of people, the latest and greatest is the hell with 2020. Yes, we're just hours away. Or who knows, by the time you're listening to this, it's already 2021. But the bottom line is the final podcast, episode 171 for this year, is coming at you right now with a very special guest here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for those 171 episodes, I welcome you back here Thursday, December the 31st in the year of our Lord 2020. What I have on tap here, if you love the old-time hockey, if you go back to the 80s and into the 90s, that was a style of play that has been unparalleled in the history of the sport. Now, we know hockey goes back over 100 years, and we understand that it's evolved to the point where the young fan, and I'm not going to get into the back and forth from that angle to say hockey, as much as it's better for me in my eyes back then, that it can't compare with today's game. But I'm just hoping to that young hockey fan that could just open their mind and expand a little bit to take in this conversation that I had with the one-time Philadelphia Flyer and Vancouver Canuck Daryl Stanley to go back to the 80s, to talk about his days with the Flyers, to also get into growing up in Winnipeg, also becoming an NHLer who made it to the league without being drafted. So he had all those trips in junior, those long bus rides, leaving home early, which he gets into, Just an expansive conversation that I have with him that I hope you're able to not only dissect but also digest because it is one that it's fascinating from a guy who was an underdog, not one of those top-tiered, highly sought-out prospects. He had to do it the long, hard way. And he played in the league for almost a decade, showed his toughness, was even part of one of the biggest, if not most controversial brawls in the history of the league, which I'll talk about in the back end. But this conversation was delightful, was very insightful, and it brings me great pleasure to deliver this one to you here on this final day of the year. So sit back, or if you're on the treadmill, running errands, cooking, cleaning, getting your last-minute party ready at home, social distancing, etc., whatever it may be, or by this time, you're probably laid back post-New Year's, thanking 2020 is out the window and welcoming 2021 with open arms. So I hope you enjoy this. Once again, keep an open mind, people. This is coming from a different era, different time. Maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with this particular guest, but it is entertaining, it is engaging, and hopefully a conversation that you come away with with a few nuggets that you never thought about what it takes not only to make it to the NHL, but to play in a league and also go through what he went through, even playing the Stanley Cup back in 1987. And I hope you sink your teeth into this as much as I did in conversing with the one Daryl Stanley. On the line, this next guest patrolled the ice for the Philadelphia Flyers and 
Vancouver Canucks during the best era of modern hockey, in my opinion, and that goes back into the 80s. And here to share his story is none other than former defenseman and also winger, Daryl Stanley. Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon here with me. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jason. Yeah, no uh, no problem at all. Uh, up here in um, Wintry, Manitoba, well, in fact, today's a pretty nice day. So. Oh, nice. Beautiful. And it's funny, I, since I'm in New York, we're expecting about a foot of snow. So even though we can't compare New York City to uh, Manitoba, but uh, we're going to get our little uh, winter blast here in the next couple of hours or so. But uh, so first off, with everything that's going on in the world, pandemics, etc., are you healthy physically, mentally? Uh, what's in uh, Daryl Stanley up to these days? Well, yeah, physically I'm doing pretty good. Mentally, you'd have to. I might give you a different answer than my wife, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, no, everything's good. Family's good. Um, you know, it's a crazy time right now. This 2020, um, it's affected the whole world, but. You know, up here in Manitoba, where uh, uh, numbers have uh, gone off the chart, really here, but mm. where we live here, um, uh, I, I've been staying pretty close to home, and and uh, with uh, with my work, what I do, uh, um, we've been pretty quiet. Uh, however, in saying that, my wife um, is uh, uh, she works in the healthcare uh, industry, works out of a big hospital in Winnipeg, so she sees it. Um, on a daily basis so Mm. yeah we've been we're all doing good here we've been uh careful and uh uh definitely uh it's uh it's it's crazy times throughout the world oh absolutely and considering that it's been uh not to age you by any stretch uh daryl but uh it's been over 30 years since you've uh last played hockey but uh besides post career what have you been up to what have you been doing to keep yourself busy uh over the past uh, few decades well i uh I got involved um, right when I finished playing. I, I didn't know exactly what I was going to, uh, you know, jump into. Um, playing at the time that I played, um, you know, we didn't make the big money that they, that the kids are making today. Or, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, um, I kind of missed it by a year right. um, when Scott Stevens signed with St. Louis and, and the salary started to go up. Uh, um, I was a little bit before that. Um, so I had to move on, and uh, what I got into was um, I've got a couple businesses here. Hmm. I'm involved in the tourism industry, the outdoor business. I guess you could to uh, get straight to the point. It's the hunting industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, a camp up north, which uh, which I run um, in the spring and the early fall. We uh, take out bear hunters, and then also we. We do um, duck and goose hunting in the fall as well, so it's uh, it's seasonal. Um, I, I enjoy it. I work outside every day, and um, and what I did also, Jason, I, I scouted for 15 years as well. Mm. Um, I worked uh, worked with Vancouver, Anaheim, and Toronto. Uh, I worked on the amateur end, and uh, I sure enjoyed that as well. Oh, interesting. So how long ago, I know you mentioned that was a 15-year span. So when was the last year that you scouted for either one of those teams? Uh, last year I finished up, I think it was, um, um, and don't hold me uh, on this date, but I think it was 2015 oh, okay. Uh, when Toronto made that big wholesale change right down. Uh, there was new ownership came in and, and right uh, from general manager right through coaching staff to uh a lot of the um, 
people involved uh, in management, scouting, etc. So, uh, yeah, 2015 was my last uh, uh, year of scouting. All right, now take us back to when you were a boy growing up in Winnipeg. As we know, hockey is a birthright in Canada throughout uh, all the provinces there. Now, I'm sure your parents probably put you at skates at age two and away you went. Or was there another sport or anything else that you were into as a boy? Or was hockey, first and foremost, uh, the, the religion that goes on up there in Canada? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a religion, that's for sure. Uh, uh, I grew up in in uh, small town uh, Manitoba. Um, there was probably around 800 people when I grew up in this, in that town, and you played hockey uh, in the winter, uh, and we played ball. Uh, and when I mean when I say ball, it's baseball in the summer. Mm. So um, you know you went from. Uh, uh, Hockey to baseball, uh, we kept busy. We were always outside playing, and, and uh, whether we're playing road hockey, we're playing, um, you know, uh, touch football, or <laughs> it yeah. would start out as touch, but it would end up in tackle and then into fighting. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you you, we, you you grew up rough and tough. Like, you, you know, we were uh, right from a young age, you were always playing with older kids and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, just out... Uh, uh, you know, there was, we didn't have today's uh, technology, that's for damn sure. You made your own fun and, and did whatever. And um, and then I spent a lot of time out in the farm, too, working and, and uh, helping uh, my grandfather and uncles. And, and mm. uh, we were always busy, that's for darn sure. No, that's great. And obviously that's translated to your uh, post-hockey career, as you mentioned earlier, where you're uh, always active and outdoors, and that's great because uh, I'm sure... In this day and age with the way technology is now, obviously you're from a different breed. You come from a totally different generation where today everything is push one button and you could get a movie on your phone and food delivered and everything is uh, pretty much in a snap where you still instill that uh, that work ethic and also just being able to keep yourself feeling young. Even if the age, even if the years continue to rise up there, you always keep yourself young and find a way out to uh, an outlet to do that. No, that's for sure. Well, you were brought up that way. Um, you know, uh, like you said, today is totally different. That's, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, uh, um, we were always busy, you know, um, shit we played, <clears throat> you know, at home as kids in the winter, we'd, uh, make a couple posts with a couple, uh, um, chunks of snow and, mm-hmm. and, uh, we, we'd find a street light in town and all the kids in the, probably within three, four blocks would meet uh, after supper or, or even after school. We'd play till supper time, then meet again after supper. And, you'd, you know, then later on in the evening, you'd hear your mothers calling uh, the kids to, to get home. And, <laughs> and uh, oh, it was always fun. It was, uh, um, you know, it was always uh, something to do. We made our own fun. That's for darn sure. No, that's great. And now to uh, fast forward a little bit to your junior hockey career, because uh, you played at Saskatoon, and I can only imagine, even back then, who knows what it's like today. I'm sure it's a lot more uh, ease and more comfort than it was back going into the late 70s, early 80s. But uh, if you could share your experience of what junior hockey was like, because we all know the long bus trips, leaving home to have to you know shack up in someone's apartment and just try to make it to the NHL, that's the beginning of the dream. 
Uh, what was that like for you as you were trying to get yourself uh, your first steps to get to the NHL? Yeah, you know, I, I was um, um, very uh, fortunate, I guess. Uh, um, you know, back then they didn't have a, a Western League draft. Uh, you, you'd uh, <clears throat> you'd get scouted and you'd get put on a list back then, a protected list. And, and I believe back then um, each team had a... Um, 70 player protected lists uh, and uh, that included the you know 20 or 25 uh, kids that played on the junior team uh, as of that year mm. so I was put on uh, uh, New Westminster Bruins uh, protected list and um, um, back then uh, they were they were the uh, a dynasty in, in in all of Canada they had uh, made five consecutive trips to uh, uh, the uh, play for the Memorial Cup, mm-hmm. and um, I remember watching the New West Bruins play at the Winnipeg Arena, and and uh, saw guys like uh, Barry Beck and Brad Maxwell and Harold Philipoff, and and they always had a big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, New West, if you weren't six feet, I don't think they'd look at you. <laughs> in fact, they they had some junior, uh, some of their teams in junior were bigger than uh, uh, some of the NHL t- uh, teams. Wow. And uh, so, you know, you end up, I went out uh, to my first training camp at 15. Um, I didn't make the Bruins, but I played in uh, Revelstoke, B.C., which was the B.C. Junior Hockey League. Uh, played for Les Jackson, who's, who's now involved with uh, and has been for years with uh, the Dallas Stars organization. Mm-hmm. Played for him. And, uh, you know, uh, that was a hell of a good league. And then the next year after that, played for Punch McLean uh, in New Westminster. And, and then, you know, you learn about all the history that the Bruins had, whether you turn the page pages back and you look at, uh, like I had mentioned earlier, guys like Barry Beck and Brad Maxwell and, and, you, either, and you dig deeper, uh, Ron Greshner and, mm. and some damn good uh, hockey names came through that organization. So, you know, uh, there was always a rough and tumble. Uh, Punch McLean always had the rough and tumble teams uh, playing out of Queens Park, and and uh, you know, fortunate for me, I always played hard. Um, played hard ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, um, I hated to lose. I guess you could say hated to lose. Um, uh, but uh, went out, worked hard. You know, and as a young kid, believe it or not, uh, um, put up a lot of points. I uh, played center when I was, um, you know, in around 13, 14. In fact, well, probably the year that I got put on that list, uh, there's a big tournament that the Brandon Wheat Kings um, used to uh, uh, sponsor or host, I guess you could say, and it was called the Knights of Columbus, and I was um, all-star center. Mm. And... Um, um, you know, I just, uh, uh, you know, uh, was pretty skilled uh, back then, and and um, but I played both defense and uh, center. But so when I went on to play junior, I, in fact, my first year in Revelstoke, I did play uh, forward and defense for less. And then when I continued on to the Western League, uh, played defense there. Uh, played in New Westminster for a couple years. Um, then uh, Saskatoon traded for me. Mm. Uh, went to Saskatoon. 
Uh, played for Daryl Lubinicki out of uh, who was coaching us in Saskatoon. Uh, Dennis Bayak was the assistant GM, who's you know you know now been doing a lot of television work with TSN up in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, had a hell of a hockey team in Saskatoon. Uh, that's where I met Dave Brown. Mm. Um, uh, played with Brownie on that team, and we had a hell of a hockey team. In fact. All of our center men uh, were all drafted. They all played in the NHL. Um, we had um, um, Mark Habscheid, uh, Bruce Eakin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce Eakin broke Bobby Clark, uh, Clark's record that year with over 125 assists. Wow. Uh, Roger Cortco and um, Brian Scrudland. Those were our four centermen. So... Uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty deep up front that's for damn sure yeah absolutely wow interesting and yeah so i played in saskatoon uh, we played in the old barn there um we had a we had a hell of a hockey team there um we got beat out in the playoffs by uh, a guy who stood on his head and net for calgary was mike vernon mm. um mm-hmm. uh, calgary uh, beat us out in the playoffs and, and they had a damn good team um, but yeah, we had a team in Saskatoon that uh, uh, we could play any style. We had, um, you know, we had a big team. We had a tough team. We had a, guys that could put the puck in the net. Um, we had battles. Let me tell you, uh, Bill LaForge was coaching uh, Regina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we played Regina Pat 16 times that year. And if, if it only had five or six fights in that game, that was a mild game. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, I tell you that. Oh no, go ahead. No, it was it, it was. I'll tell you if if uh, uh, you better be prepared to play. I, I always said that Western League was the toughest league I played in, the hardest league. It was. Uh, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. The NHL is the creme de la creme, but mm-hmm. the Western League was the tough league. Yes, I remember following in the eighties how the. Western Hockey League is in comparison to the Ontario Hockey League. And listen, there were some tough customers that came out of the OHL. But to me, nothing was like the boys that fought out in the Western Hockey League. That's just my opinion. I'm sure there's others that would probably argue that the Ontario Hockey League had tougher players or were just as on the same level as the Western Hockey League players. But by far, in that era, they were kings as far as uh, tough guys that were pretty much breeding out of that uh, part of the country. Yeah, it you know... Um uh, I'm not saying this because I played there, but um, it was it was uh, it was it was a damn good league, uh, but it was uh, it was tough. It mm. was uh, they you know, and each team had guys that could uh, look after themselves. That's for darn sure. Mm-hmm. There were big, strong kids, and and um, uh, you know, uh, it's funny because you take a look at uh, that year that I played in Saskatoon. Before that, when Jackie McLeod was um, you know, had the blades, uh, was coach and GM. They always had good teams, but they were always, um, they were always short on, on, on having, you know, tough teams. They were more skilled teams. Mm-hmm. And when Lubinicki came in, he kind of, he kind of took it the other way and had good skilled teams, but he had guys that could, uh, look after those, uh, skilled guys as well. And kind of started a trend there with the blades because, you know, right after uh, the year that uh, Dave Brown and myself were there, you know, then 
ship for years. They had good teams and tough teams. Uh, you know, Wendell Clark, all the Clark brothers, oh, yeah. Joey Kosher, you know, uh, Twist, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, uh, Belak, uh, Christ, they had all kinds of tough kids that come to, came out of there. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a good old barn to play in. It was great to have that uh, building as your, as your, as your home uh, rank. That's for darn sure. Mm. Now, of course, in the NHL, you were known as a physical player. And my thing is that with you being that type of player in the league, was that something that was instilled in your hockey DNA? I know you mentioned about being competitive and not wanting to lose, but was that something when you first started, especially in junior, were you looking to be more of an all-around player? Or did you have that physicality pretty much from the start and then obviously you were able to hone in on all the other skills, whether it's playing defense, whether it's playing winger, and a lot of the things that you did on the ice at that time? Well, you know what, I... I've got a couple old clippings here, and I never used to save much, but my cousins kept some, and my mom kept some. I sent a few back, I guess, but um, not only in in uh, Philadelphia organization, but back in Saskatoon, they had a big article. They called me the hitman, mm. um, and and because I could I could hit um, physically. Um, uh, I, you know, I played hard and I could open ice hit and hit and, uh, I always finish my checks. And, um, uh, so I just, you know, I took that, uh, well, when I went to my first training camp in Philly, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you get there, I, I, I'll never forget flying down there. Uh, you know, that, uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, right. You know, I think mom bought me a pair of back then, uh, pair of uh lee lee painter pants corduroy brown uh-huh. had a pair of cowboy boots and a new shirt <laughs> you know and uh then i you know go uh, remember getting to uh uh i think it was LaGuardia airport mm-hmm. uh, in new york and yep. then i see a bunch of these you know big kids and all dressed up in suits and that and they were naturally going to philadelphia to the training camp and they used to have a rookie camp before the training camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and uh, I remember all of them looking at me because I was, you know, good size back then and probably wondering who the hell is this kid. And, <laughs> and uh, But I'll tell you, after the first day on the ice uh, in rookie camp, they knew who I was because, you know, I went out there and like I said to my dad when I left, I'm going there for a purpose. I'm not going to make friends. And, mm-hmm. and uh I, I just went out and I played hard. I run over everybody that I could, and I didn't have nobody really challenging me at uh, at uh, in the rookie camp, and and I was prepared to do whatever. Uh, but you know, I skated with the puck. I had lots of room, so di- every day went by. I just got more confident and uh, just kept rolling. And I, you know, I came out of that camp with a contract. So wow. And that's the thing, too, because I don't believe you were drafted. Is that right? No, I wasn't. Uh, uh, I wasn't drafted. In fact, uh, my my agent at that time was uh, Bill Waters. Hmm. And um, Bill got a hold of me, and he said, listen, he said, uh, they really like you. Keep doing what you're doing. He said, you know, they bought. Uh, I got offered, like, second-round contract money. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, he said, uh, it's up to you. What do you think? Uh, we can wait and, and see how things go this year. And I said, listen, I said, uh, <clears throat> the way that I play, 
uh, it fits into the Flyers mold. That's right. Um, I'd be ha- I'd be happy to sign with them. Wow. And and I did. Uh, I was very happy and. Uh, um, yeah, I was uh, happier than a pig and shit. I guess <laughs> the day I signed my contract. Yeah. No, understood. And it's interesting too because I'm sure you knew the history and the reputation of the Flyers dating back to the '70s, Broad Street Bullies, etc. Now, obviously, this was an opportunity that you welcomed with open arms. But were was there a little bit of intimidation, maybe uh, inside, just knowing that you had to uphold this reputation, especially the way hockey was played back then? Or you just looked at it as like, well, hey, I'm home. This is pretty much right up my alley. Let's get right to it. Yeah, you know, um, I'll tell you what was, uh, you know, you'll never forget as a youngster after <clears throat> I remember going through the rookie camp and then the main camp. I, You know, I was, I was there for the main camp and you sit in the room and you look around and shit you that you've got your own name on a on a stall there and mm-hmm. uh you know the, the the trainers are treating you a little different you look over and there's guys like bob clark uh, uh bill barber daryl sipper was there at the time mm-hmm. uh mel bridgman uh you know i could go on and on uh, paul holmgren all the guys uh, that you watch yeah uh, on television and and all of a sudden you you know you're skating with them and you think well you know, I can't be in awe here. Right. Uh, I got to get out and show these guys that uh, I can play. And, uh, you know, the same thing uh, applies. I remember my first exhibition games, uh, whether I was playing. I remember in Montreal, mm. uh, played an exhibition game in Montreal. All of a sudden, you're skating around in the uh, Forum of uh, Montreal, where back when, <clears throat> ever since you were a kid, you had one channel on TV up here, mm-hmm. Saturday nights, it was Hockey Night in Canada. Now you're skating around that forum, you're listening to the announcer that you used to hear his voice on TV, and it was like religion. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, and then all of a sudden, same type of, uh, you know, same thing goes through your mind that, uh, you know, you better get out there and get your ass in gear because, uh, you know, if, if you wanted to... Uh, be a fan and buy a ticket that's different you're here now and if you want to stay here you better get out and play right. so uh you know i just uh you know got that out of my head and you know you're lining up on face-offs against guys that you watched on tv and you know uh, you can't be in awe you got to be ready to play. that's right <laughs> <laughs> i hope absolutely now, let me ask you this. As far as the players on the Flyers at the time, especially during your rookie year, and you have all the players that you mentioned, and especially the tough guys too, because I'm sure there had to be a little bit of pressure there for here it is, a young kid that's looking to prove himself in this league amongst other guys like you mentioned, Mel Bridgman, Paul Holmgren, and I believe even Dave Brown, who of course you were good friends with going back to your days in junior. But was there uh, any pressure on you just to know that you had to prove yourself even more considering that the Flyers have a history of tough guys and of course the tough guys that were on the team at that time what was that like or did you look at that pressure as uh-uh, I'm going to squash this as best as I can because you were confident in your abilities and being able to do what you do on the ice well you know the start of my second year um I had a real good I had a real good training camp um had a real good camp uh played really well in the exhibition games um uh-huh. Uh, and we were, uh, uh, I got sent down to Springfield and we were, uh, kind of a joint, 
uh, team that year with Philadelphia guys and Chicago guys. Mm. Um, our coach down there was Dougie Sauter, and uh, Dougie coached uh, in the Western League, and he was familiar with you know guys like myself and Dave Brown, uh, Daryl Landholt, uh, guys from the you know guys from the West. Mm-hmm. And uh, he knew what we brought to the table, and and you know when the when the going gets rough or you know the tough get going, and we could play in any type of situation. So uh, he had a you know um, uh, he he played the hell out of us, and it was great for us. You know, um, playing down the American League was a good, great league, mm-hmm. and you know you played a lot, you got your confidence. So I remember we. Um, um, I had uh, I was having a started out really good, started out really strong um, with Springfield, and we had a damn good team there. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I had uh, um, been playing playing good, uh, had some uh, fights. Uh, some of the fights I had uh, in a row was uh, Bell James. I fought oh, Archie yeah. Henderson. Mm-hmm. Big, big Archie, and you know guys I proven heavyweights and did well uh and then uh we played in hershey one night uh, uh right after that i think i fought jay johnson and, and you know and played we played lots and uh, uh so then guys from philly were at the game uh, McCam- i remember mccammon was there and uh um i forget who else was with them but uh they had come to the game flew into hershey with mr snyder's jet and uh i got called up I uh, flew with them after the game back in the Mr. Snyder's jet and back to Philly, and we played St. Louis the next night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went out there, played hard, had a couple real big hits. Um, you know, and then I, I went, and I, I think I pushed or did something with uh, big Jack Carlson in front of the net. And, you know, uh, he's probably wondering, who's this rookie? And <laughs> gloved me off, and there we go. And that was my first fight. And right. I did win. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I don't know how many games they had planned to keep me up, but they kept me up uh, for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, it was uh, – but, you, you know, you, you, you wanted to go hard. You wanted to prove to everybody that you, you, uh, you could play. And um, uh, <clears throat> McCammon and I got to play a lot there. It was it – was, um, uh, I – you know, I went out and we played hard, and, and Brownie was brought up. Uh, I think I was only there for a few games, and then Brownie was brought up as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, both of us were there, and and, uh, and at that time they had Glenn Cochran, they had Randy Holt, they had Paul Holmgren. You know, they had a tough team already. Yeah. And uh, you know, we just uh, we just went out, we just went out and we played hard. We were having fun. Um, you know, we were uh, enjoying it and, and uh, just playing the game hard. And that's the thing. I'm sure there's a lot of people, especially the young listener, who doesn't look at hockey before 2015, pretty much. And when we talk about this time, I'm sure a lot of the – if you're under 30, you don't even know anything about uh, hockey in this era. So just like you mentioned, as tough as that team was then and all of the – not only the great players that were on that team, but also the physicality that you guys played – it's one thing that the young people can't relate. So I'm going to segue into this question. It's a two-parter. One is the spectrum was synonymous with a house of horrors for a lot of teams. They knew how intimidating that place was. 
unfortunately it's no longer here of course they have the other the building that's been up for about 25 years or so but could you uh, take us uh, along a trip of what was it like to play in the spectrum especially when you had arrivals and that's going to be the second part of the question but just that building alone and what it meant with the fans behind you also just the intimidation factor of going into that building because they know that it was going to be a long night with you guys patrolling the ice yeah, the spectrum was something special, um, you know. And you know, the spectrum was uh, the fans, the home fans there were unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to play for that crowd, uh, it, it was great, um, and they had a history there as well. Uh, but they had the teams, you know. Besides playing that physical style that they could play. Um, we could we could play any style. Like if you know if we if we had to open it up, we could open it up. But mm-hmm. if we wanted to play rough or or set the stage or or whatever, we could do that. And having the uh, momentum of the fans behind you, I think it was you were already you you know ahead by a goal or two in that building. Mm. No. As long as we had you know as long as you got good goaltending and. Um, you know, you had the fan support. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play at that time. I got a chance. Uh, I had an opportunity to play with uh, uh, Bob Clark, with Clarky, mm-hmm. And fantastic leader. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember going on the ice when I was young, and I remember Clarky looking at me in the, and just saying, Stan, let's go, let's go, let's go hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know... When you got that guy leading uh, 20 guys and, and uh, everybody following and, and, and playing hard, um, you know, it was just a, a great way to, you know, to, to, to have a leader like that. I was very, very fortunate to have a leader like Bobby Clark. And he's an all-time great, so there's uh, no ifs, ands, buts about that one. And it, he's, to me, he's uh, synonymous with uh, the Flyers. When you think of the Flyers, that's the first person you're going to think of right there is number 16 in the rafters down in Philadelphia. Now, as far as the rivalries go, now again, today in this day and age, you don't even have that. To me, it's a whole different world, whole different sport. But back then, you had rivals not only with the Rangers, the Islanders, even with the Penguins, uh, of course, the Capitals. Uh, what was that like playing through all those different teams, especially in the playoffs? And was there one team that you couldn't stand more than the next? You know, the Patrick division at that time was a tough division. Like uh, it was, a, it, the teams were good. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 you know, uh, I remember going into the uh, Long Island, and I was a kid. Uh, you know, um, playing against Islanders. Uh, you know, there's a, again like. I was meant. I had mentioned earlier, you know, as a kid watching these guys play on TV, you know, you got uh, uh, Brian Trotche leading the leading the squad there, and you got mm-hmm. Big Clark Gillies and Bobby Nystrom and Mike Bossy sniping away, and and Pod Van on the back end, and Billy Smith in the net, like. You know, you better have your friggin' head on when you go into that building. <laughs> wow. I remember going into to Long Island and uh, um, opening shift. The punk, puck gets du- dumped in your corner. <laughs> I'm going back, and you got Bobby Nystrom coming full speed. Well, right. you know, you better be ready to, to, to hit or be hit. And, but it'll get you in the game quick. And, um, you know, we had uh, that rivalry, a big rivalry with the Islanders. Uh, you know, the Rangers, the same thing. 
Rangers uh, maybe weren't as physical uh, a team as the Islanders, but, uh, you know, it was always tough games with the Rangers. Mm-hmm. The same uh, saying when we played the Capitals. Um, Pittsburgh, uh, in the years that I were there, I was there in Philly, uh, Pittsburgh was kind of in a rebuilding stage. Right. Um, they, you know, they were maybe them and 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 uh, Jersey at that time um, <clears throat> were, you know, building their franchises not as strong as they were in the late '80s and mm-hmm. into the '90s. Right. But uh, they all played the game hard, each team. So there was never a gimme. You know, there was never a gimme. You you always had to be ready to play and and. Uh, go out there and, and play hard for 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to the 86-87 uh, uh, season, and that was, of course, the team that went to the seventh game against Edmonton where you played the Oilers two of those past three years, of course, in 84-85. But um, I know that there was a time in between that where you were involved in a, a serious auto accident. And uh, I wanted to ask, what was that like? I'm sure it was grueling mentally, spiritually, etc. But in order for you to get back on the ice, knowing that you've been a fighter through your whole life, competitive, etc., was there a moment there that you may have thought that, oh, I don't know if you're going to get back, or were you just determined to say, heck with this, I'm laying it all on the line to get back to the NHL? Yeah, it was um, it was a hell of a wreck. You know, like if I if you saw pictures, like people see pictures of that car and say, how the hell did you live out of that? Wow. I was very fortunate. I had... Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was blessed uh, that uh, um, uh, that night, and, and uh, but anyway, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I came out of that. Uh, I laid in the hospital bed for nine weeks in traction. Wow! Uh, I broke I broke C five C six in my neck. I was fortunate, very very lucky young man that I didn't in, end up in a wheelchair and, and uh, uh, finished. Mm. As far as uh, you know, uh, playing the game, but I had lots of time to think, and um, you know, I, I always said I'm going to come back and play. And uh, after when I got out of the hospital, and I'll never forget this. Uh, um, and that's why you know I played. You know, I played for the Flyers, played for the Canucks, but I can't thank uh, Bobby Clark, Mr. Snyder and the, the whole uh, management team ownership on having faith uh, in myself. Uh, they, they put me through a hell of a rehab. And they could, a lot of teams, you know, at that time said, you know, he was a good young prospect. It's unfortunate it happened. But I came out. Um, I, I worked my friggin' ass off. I had another opera. I had a, another operation, went down to Philadelphia, had a few spinal fusion done. Hmm. Uh, work, I worked out with Pat Croce, um, myself, Brad McCrimmon had been hurt that, that year against Quebec, um, myself and Beast, and um, we, we worked out with uh, Dr. J and Mike Schmidt, mm. worked out with those guys all summer with Croce, and, and uh, nobody expected me to come back for another year, and I was back in training camp that fall, believe it or not, wow. and um, I just had in my mind that you know you're going to come back you're going to play and uh mentally strong um very mentally strong and uh uh, i worked my friggin ass off (laughs) and uh came back and uh uh, although i couldn't um 
uh, get uh, involved in the physical end of the game till probably November. Um, you know, as far as game situations, I went through training camp and uh, uh, then I went to Hershey, played for John Paddock for a couple mm. months there, mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, got called up back to the Flyers and stayed up. So it was, uh, was there ever a point in time um, uh, that I thought, well, you know, you could just uh, do something else? No. I remember the doctor asking me before I went into traction, uh, I had a halo, mm. and uh, doctor neurosurgeon had said to me, he said, listen, take 20 minutes and go have a coffee and, and think it over, uh, but we got to get this thing perfect if you want to come back and play at the level that you're playing. I said, listen, I looked straight at him, and I said, I don't need 20 minutes. Get that bed ready, let's go. Wow. And uh, that was, you know, 21-year-old kid saying that, and uh, I didn't want to... Jason, I didn't want to wait till I was in, you know, say in my 30s and um, look back and, and uh, you know, be the old coulda, woulda, shoulda type right. thing. Uh, I wanted to give up my best shot and see, wh- see what happens, and uh, everything worked out. No, and that's, a, that's an amazing story. And uh, I'm glad that you persevered and you, there wasn't a doubt in your mind that you were going to go full steam ahead to get back to the NHL and obviously – had a long career even after that. So, man, that is, that is certainly a, a story to behold right there. Wow. Uh, and speaking of, I want to go to that 86-87 team where you made it to the Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, full disclosure, I'm an Islander fan, and I, I didn't really dislike the Flyers as much. I, I always hated the Rangers. But I was rooting for you guys hard to beat Edmonton because I couldn't stand the Oilers. And obviously, they beat the Islanders just a few years before that in their drive for five. So... I'm sure, looking as a fan from afar, I was crushed. I can only imagine Hexy played great in that Game 7. I know Glenn Anderson had that goal that pretty much cemented it. But what is some of the great memories that you have of playing in that Cup Final, especially against the great Edmonton Oilers team at that time? Well, you know, I'll tell you something. that um, um, I remember I had a coach, a uh, hell of a coach hey, coach us our first year uh, a pro in the American League was Tommy McVie hmm. and uh, you know we all can't forget that Edmonton had one hell of a hockey team when you take a look at the amount of Hall of Famers they had on that team yeah. um, but we lost we come uh, we come second I remember uh, Tom McVie saying uh, you know they never remember who comes in second they always remember who won it but in saying that uh, we had a hell of a hockey team in Philadelphia. Um, we had a team, like I said earlier, could play any style. And also we had a lot of, we, we had some key guys that were injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timmy, Kerr, Timmy Kerr never dressed, uh, I, I don't think he played many playoff games at, because of the shoulder. Right. And, you know, when you take a look back, if friggin' Kerr was healthy, he was good enough. He was good for one or two goals a game. You Absolutely. You him on the power play and, you know, he, I used to call him the Charlet Bull. Mm. Uh, he reminded me of Charlet Bull, big blonde-headed guy built like a Greek god and strong as an ox, mm-hmm. and uh, just park himself in front of that net and tip pucks. And, and uh, you know, Timmy never scored any highlight reel games like making fancy moves or slap shot the puck uh, over the blue line. He was so big and strong, nobody can take, could contain him in front of the net. Right. But, you know, we sure missed him. Uh, 
David Poulin had broken ribs. Brian Prop wasn't right. So, you know, I'm not making excuses, but uh, if we would have had a healthier team, um, you know, things might have been a bit different in saying that um, Edmonton had one hell of a team. Um, you know, we scored the first goal, Muzz Craven. Murray mm-hmm. scored the uh, opening goal of that game. And, and you know, um, Hexy played unbelievable. Um, you know, going back to series against Montreal, I remember the when we beat Montreal in that uh, in the sixth game to win the Wales Conference. Hexy stood on his head mm-hmm. like he was he was uh, you know the whole playoffs. Uh, he was really he played very well for us, and and I've always said if you have a really good foundation. And your foundation is your goaltending. Mm-hmm. If you've got good goaltending, everybody else is going to play um, a lot more confident in front of you. And um, they're not going to have that doubt issue that, uh, oh, he's going to let the weak one in. We all knew that Hexy was going to, you know, be, be uh, he's going to keep us in the game. And we just had to get uh, a few goals. That's, uh, right. But, uh, you know, it was good. It was uh uh, you know, it was you hate to not to win in the seventh game. That's for damn sure. Right. No, of course. Um, you know, it was something that bothered you for a long time, and and uh, uh, but you know, Edmonton played well. They uh, and and he- Hexy, he was lights out. No, he most definitely was. And of course, you mentioned Game Six against Montreal in the previous round in the conference finals, and you know I have to bring this up, and I'm sure a lot of people have uh, brought this your attention over the years because not only was that a historic night for the fight fan of course it went backwards because of all the rules that were implemented afterwards but prior to the start of the game we all know what happened with Claude Lemieux and Boxcar Hospital so I'm going to ask it I'm going to ask you this way what was the first sign I'm sure you're in the locker room at this point you're probably unlacing your skates or just kind of cooling off from the pregame skate what was the chaos? We saw what happened on the ice, but those minutes leading into where players coming in, where coaches coming in to say, hey, there's a fight on the ice, please walk us through what happened there with that 10 to 15-minute time frame there on the ice of the old forum there in Game 6. Well, you know, um, after pregame, uh, after warm-up, you know, you come in at that time of the year, it's, it's warm outside, you got the fans in the building, it's hot, you come in the room and just like, you know, a, a regular warm-up, we, you take your stuff off. The, everybody has a different ritual, but, you know, we all took a lot. Most of us took a, our stuff right down to our pants, and mm-hmm. some guys uh, had their skates off. Uh, um, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting there, we're getting ready for the game. Guys are talking, doing whatever, and all of a sudden, Turk uh, comes flying in, and, and uh, he said... Uh, um, Eddie's on the ice, and he was just rambling on like there's uh, the Montreal teams out there, and and uh, he, you know there was a fight going on. So uh, <laughs> everybody's scrambling, guys are doing up skates, and you know getting out there in a hurry. And and uh, I think it was Cross, Dougie Cross, and he even went out there. He had his uh, didn't have the skates on on. He just had his. Uh, we used to have these rubber. Um, uh, like Crocs, but they were like a shower slipper. Uh-huh. Um, Cross had them on, 
<laughs> and, uh, um, you know, as you can see, a bunch of us uh, were stripped right down to our pants. Yep. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was just kind of a little chaotic, I guess you could say. Um, and, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, we went, we went uh, flying out there to, the, to, uh, to see what was going on and, and then things, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Eddie and uh, Lemieux, I think that was probably over. And I think Brownie, uh, him and Nyland, they uh, locked horns. Yep. We're kind of going back and forth. And then it started and then it kind of stopped and then something else went on. And, and uh, it kind of... You know, it would it would kind of almost seem like it was cooling down, and somebody would throw a punch, and then it would start again. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing is, uh, you know, you got to be careful that somebody doesn't hit you from the side or, or do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know how long, you know, the the actual uh, um, uh, on ice altercation went on for. Uh, you know, it's kind of comical uh, a little bit uh, now. You, you think back, but I remember uh, Snack, uh, Donnie Nackbar, who I think was fighting with, got into it with Larry Robinson. And, mm-hmm. you know, Larry at that time was, yeah, you know, he was one of the older guys on Montreal. And um, I'll tell you, tougher than hell, uh, you know, a yeah. hell of a hockey player and an idol. And mm-hmm. I think him and Snack uh, were kind of getting into it. And Smack, Snack might have hit him uh, one and, I heard Larry yell out, "Enough for this shit! I'm too old for this shit." So, <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of, kind of stopped, and and uh, other little fights went on, and uh, myself and John Cordick. Yep. And, uh, um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite the thing, that's for sure. And I want to ask you about that too, because I remember this, and I've watched this a thousand times, and that's how much of a nutcase I am when it comes to this stuff. But, of course, Brown didn't have a shirt on. All he had was a suspenders holding up his pants. And it seemed like once he got on the ice, he saw Chris Nyland yapping around. So he went straight to him. And it seemed like they were fighting pretty much the whole, I believe it's about 10 minutes total. Not that they were fighting for 10 straight minutes, but they were just pretty much dancing around for like at least five of those minutes. Just either trying to catch their breath, throw a punch here, punch there. But the incident with you and Cordick. Right before that, would you mention that there was a punch thrown where, it seemed, where things seemed to calm down a little bit? I know Rick Tockett and Mike McPhee were going at it. And then right to the left of you was you and John Cordick. Now, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you remember this, but I don't know if you guys just butted heads at that point or did you kind of see each other out? Uh, I understand in a situation like that, you're just trying to be calm and try to get some sort of... Uh, so some sort of order to re- to be restored, but at the same time, was it one of those things where you guys just locked horns right away and then you knew it was going to happen, or it was just because of what happened with Tockett and McVie that you were able just to go at it with John Cordick at that time? Um, you know, I think in the in the melee um, up against the boards, there was a, a good scrum, and I was trying to get... Uh, there was a bunch of guys that <clears throat> were in there, had a hold of Brownie, and I was in there, and I... One thing I wouldn't do, um, you know, just out of respect, and I, I, I'm not that type of guy, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have suckered anybody. Right. Um, I, I remember grabbing Nylon from behind and said, let let him go, Chris. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, Nylon had his arms around 
I think around Brownie and but Brownie um, I think there was uh, Chelios and a few other guys who had Dave wrapped up. So I didn't want to see um, anybody take advantage of a Brownie while he couldn't defend himself. But then again, um, you know, I was just trying to persuade uh, uh, Chris there to kind of let him go. And, and, uh, and I know at that time, I think uh, – John had his arms around me from from the side or behind, mm. uh, and I, you know, probably, um, you know, uh, being that it was their home building, and and you know, he's one of their uh, policemen or heavyweights there that he might have felt a little pressure from the crowd that he better you know do something as well. Mm-hmm. So I, rem- <clears throat> I would he he I I know he started it uh, with me. Um, mm. that it was, uh, right away he was, uh, you know, throwing and, and whatever. So I figured, well, I better get going here, <laughs> you know, like that, right. uh, uh, but you know, and I was kind of surprised too, that, um, uh, um, cause we ended up against the boards and, um, uh, I pushed him up against the boards pretty hard and mm. I was ready to, you know, I was, I wanted to keep going, but he said, that's enough. And uh, I was surprised because I had heard rumblings back then that, you know, that, um, you know, he was real strong and everything, and, and which he was. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was kind of surprised that, uh, you know, like, uh, um, you know, that uh, um, I, I, I was able to hold him up against the glass, not that, you know, like, I, I could hold him pretty good, you know. Right. Wow. I, and listen, and that's the one thing when you talk about that, just that whole melee. And as you mentioned, Dave Brown, for those who don't know or aren't familiar with Dave Brown, he was 6'5", 220 without skates. So you can imagine with skates on and here's Chelios, Nyland, everybody trying to corral or get around him. And he was a giant of a man. And that's the one thing. And he threw lefty, which back then you didn't have a lot of guys who threw left-handed. So just to think that you had so many of those guys, whether they were the toughest guys in the league and Chris Nyland or even a guy like Chris Chelios, just to try to do whatever to get him either cooled down or to get him riled up. It's amazing to think that 33 years later that that fight is still remembered among certain circles because I know there's a lot of people that would wish to forget about that, but it was historic and at the same time it just changed the rules and the outcome of bench-clearing brawls. And mind you, this happened before the game and not during the game. Yeah, um... Yeah, Dave Brown was—he—he's he, a powerful man. Mm. Um, I'll tell you, like I—I've known Brownie for for years. Uh, Dave Brown's my best friend. Mm. Um, you know, we played junior together. Uh, I'll tell you, a hell of an athlete. A lot oh. of people don't know this, but really? Brownie's a hell of an athlete. Like, wow. uh, you know, his his first love was baseball. And wow. uh, he was one hell of a pitcher. Like, he could have went to Georgia Tech on a scholarship. Um, you know, like, a uh, 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 great athlete. Um, I remember the year he got drafted, uh, he had a schedule on his workout schedule for the summer. And I'll tell you, I don't know if he ever kept that, but it was incredible what he, he like, he looked like uh, he was ripped at that time. And not a lot of guys were were in that type of shape back, um, you know, back in the 80s. When mm-hmm. they came to training camp, 
Brownie was, he looked like a UFC fighter as far as ripped and, and wow. just, just raw and, and powerful. And, um, and the strength that he had, uh, I remember him doing, uh, you know, curls and, and so forth. Uh, um, just, uh, you know, he, he was, he was strong. He was a strong, big, big, powerful man. Mm. Amazing. All right, now I have a few more before I get to my rapid fire, uh, Daryl, so I'll uh, get right to it. Now, after that season that the team made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, you were traded to Vancouver. Now, obviously, this day and age, it's information goes in a second. Twitter, social media, whatever. First off, how did you find out about the trade, and how did it affect you knowing that how much you love Philadelphia and what they did for you through all the years that you were there? Uh, what kind of impact did that have on you when you were traded? Well, you know, the interesting thing is, after that seventh game in in, in uh, Edmonton, you know, you're all getting ready to go on the bus, and Brian Burke came up to me, and and uh, he was he was an agent at that time. Hmm. Uh, uh, he represented Dave Poole and myself, uh, Dave Brown, and a lot of other guys throughout the league. But Burke, walked up to me, said, "Stan," he said, "I'm sorry to." You know, you guys had a hell of a good run here. Uh, you know, sorry to see it uh, didn't go your way. And he said, just to let you know, I won't be able to uh, represent you anymore. He said, uh, I'm going to Vancouver. Mm. Uh, he said, Pat is going to be the GM and KG is going to be the coach, and we're going to try and get you in Vancouver. Wow. And, you know, that was something, you know, <laughs> you don't expect to hear that after you just got knocked out of the Stanley Cup final. Right. But, you know, um, all that summer, nothing really, you know, happened. Didn't hear anything. You're working out hard. You're getting ready for, uh, you know, to, to head back to Philly. And then it was, oh, it was about 10 days before training camp or, or maybe two weeks, I don't know. But anyway, I was in it uh, working out in Winnipeg and then came home to the house, and Dad said, did Bob Clark get a hold of you? And back then, nobody had, uh, no, you're supposed to phone Bob Clark. Yeah. And there, nobody had cell phones back then. Nope. And uh, he said, Darcy wrote a phone from Vancouver. He says, Daryl, and this is my dad telling me this, you've been traded to Vancouver. Wow. So... So then I phoned Clarky and, and uh, Clarky said to me, Stan, he said, I've traded you to Vancouver. And and uh, so all I, you know, I just said to him, I said, Clarky, just want to thank you and uh, thank the Flyers organization and, uh, you know, good luck. Mm. So what else are you going to say? No, of course. <laughs> you know, it's, and it, it's, uh, you've been with that organization for, you know, like five for five years, I guess, at that time, and, and all of a sudden you're going to a new organization. But, you know, you just suck it up and and uh, um, get ready and, and pack your bags. You're heading to Vancouver. Yeah. And then you played there three years, and I know you played there with a couple of other tough guys, and one Craig Cox, also Garth Butcher. Those are the two that come to mind right now. Uh, what was your experience like playing there? Because I believe you also got a lot more playing time, not to say you didn't get the, that much playing time in Philadelphia, but you were, I guess your connection with Brian Burke and being able to show your talent there up in the Pacific Northwest. Well, what was that experience like playing up there for those three years in Vancouver? 
Yeah, another guy that you forgot about. There was a, there's a couple other guys there too, but Dave Richter was there as yes, well. Yes, lefty. And he played on the Flyers too that one year, I believe, with what, 85-86 season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Dave uh, I lived, Dave and I lived together out in Vancouver. Oh, wow. But, um, no, well, you know, go out to Vancouver. It's, uh, uh, you know, you're in a different division. Uh, you're meeting a whole bunch of new teammates and, and guys that... Uh, you know, you played against, and you got uh, uh, getting to learn. Um, you know, uh, your way around out there, and yeah, it's something new. But uh, you know, it's a job, and you go out there and you work hard, and and a great bunch of guys. Uh, you know, I would I was fortunate enough that I I played with great guys in Philly, and and the great guys in Vancouver as well. And mm. uh, you know, one thing with myself, I always considered myself a. Uh, uh, my skates were my <clears throat> my work boots, and I <laughs> carried my lunch bucket to work, and and always got along good with everybody. No, that's great. Uh, you know, never had any uh, bad bad uh, experiences, or or had any guys that you could say that you didn't like. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get twenty different personalities. You're always going to have some guys that you're closer with than others, but no, got along good with everybody, and and. Uh, you know, Vancouver was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, when I first got there, I, I called it a country club atmosphere. Mm. and um, uh, But things got changed in a hurry with Pat Quinn, uh, you know, under the helm there and, and uh, McCammon coaching and Jack McElhargy. And, and uh, it was kind of like Flyers West, I guess yeah. you could say. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, um, one thing that, I didn't think of, uh, you know, at that time because, uh, you know, when you're young, you just go with the flow and you go out and you play and you're getting paid to play. But right. um, I wore the captain sweater out there for over 20 games. Stan Smeal was hurt and they gave me the captain sweater to wear. And that's something I'll never forget mm. you know, to, to uh, ask to, um, you know, uh, wear the captain sweater and to lead and and, uh, but it was, a, it was a great group. Um, we didn't have a very good team. Right. Um, you know, uh, Kirk McLean was uh, a rookie goaltender, uh, really up and coming, played very well. Greg Adams, like, uh, uh, Pat Quinn made a hell of a trade with the devils, mm-hmm. uh, acquiring Greg Adams and Kirk McLean. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then the following year they, they have drafted, uh, uh, a young guy by the name of Trevor Linden, and, and uh, Trevor came into play. A great young player out from uh, come out of Medicine Hat, and <clears throat> you know uh, things started to change. They got some veteran players in there: Paul Reinhart and, and uh, Harold Snaps, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know it was uh, uh, kind of um, you know they changed the they changed the way things were. You know that country club atmosphere I yeah. call it out in Vancouver, and, and into a winning atmosphere, and uh, they built a, they built a good club out there, and uh, I was I was I you know sure enjoyed it, uh, sure enjoyed uh, um, different division. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot it seemed like a lot more travel when you're used to that Patrick division uh, right. travel. Yeah, but, uh, playing against some good teams out there as well. Now, after that third year, I believe it was the 89-90 season, you retired. Uh, it seemed like it was a little bit abrupt. 
Uh, I don't know if it was injuries. I don't know if they just continue to mount over your career. But uh, was it tough to all of a sudden hang up the skates considering that you've been playing since you were a young boy? Or at that point, did you feel as if you've given everything you had at that time and that you just weren't able to give more than what you already gave? Um, Well, no, you know, like the year before, that that last year I uh, was in the league, 89-90, I cut my bloody little finger pretty well, cut it off. Um, Mm. I sliced it right, almost it was hanging. We were playing against uh, Buffalo, and um, I was playing forward that game, and Ricky Vibe was coming around the net, and I was coming in. It was the start of the game, and I wanted to set the tone. And uh, to make a long story short, I uh, he seen me at the last minute, and I kind of brushed off him and, and turned, and my glove come off and went over a skate blade. Oh. And um, I went in to get it stitched and thought, well, geez, you know, like we always did, uh, get it stitched quickly and, and get back out there. Mm-hmm. And um, I cut the friggin' tendons right off. So I missed over half the year. I missed, uh, uh, that was in January, I missed the rest of the regular season and um, missed the playoffs there that year. And so then uh, I signed with Winnipeg. Um, mm. signed with Winnipeg that summer. And uh, I had three or four other teams that uh, I could have signed with, but I figured, you know what, I'll sign with Winnipeg here, uh, Detroit at home. And, um, you know, I went to training camp, uh, played hard. Uh, they had wanted me to start the season as player coach in the American League. And I said to the GM at that time, who was Mike Smith, I said, no, Mike, I said, uh, I didn't sign here to be player coach in the American League. And uh, he said, well, well, you know, you'll be coming up. And I said, no. I said, uh, I signed to play here. And I named uh, about four or five guys off that team. Mm -hmm. I said to him, I said, I got a question for you. You know, (laughs) you tell me what their job is on this team. And I'm not going to name any names. But anyway, um, he said, no, he said, uh, um, we'd like you to start there. And I said, no, I said, I'm not interested in that. And <clears throat> Don Basley, um, he was, uh, uh, unfortunately, Don had passed away a few years back, but um, he was a well-known lawyer out of Winnipeg, and he rep- represented a, a lot of the European players. And he got in touch with me after a couple weeks and said, you know, Daryl, he said, you should go back and see them because they really like you. They want you to come back and and uh i said uh, no i said i'm pretty happy where i'm at right now don and uh um, and then later on in that year i was vancouver played and i went into the game and uh, i was sitting up in the press box and um um <clears throat> the assistant gm was um dennis mcdonald and the head of scouting was billy lasuk and they came up and they said can is there any way you consider coming back? Mm-hmm. Winnipeg had a real bad start that year, mm-hmm. that 90-91 year. And uh, I had said, no, I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now, but but thanks. And uh, no, that was it. I, uh, oh, okay. uh, I, um, I decided on uh, um, uh, retiring at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I think maybe because I was at home and I was – back in the bush and hunting and fishing and i was pretty happy where i was at right but, uh, you know if i looked uh, after i started scouting um i looked at it this way i tell all the young guys now um 
play the game as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because it is a young man's game. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, hindsight, I don't have any regrets, but I, you know, deep down, I, I should have continued playing. And even if I would have had to uh, uh, spend some time in the American League, um, there was um, expansion uh, came into play after that. But I didn't do it, but I can pass that uh, life experience on to young guys. Play as long as you can. Right. Because once, you're, once it's over, you're over. That's you're it. Finished. No, absolutely. Yeah. Now, your thoughts about the game today. Uh, of course, comparing today to when you played, it's, it's almost impossible because it was a different sport, if you ask me. But uh, do you like the game today? Do you like where it's gone uh, do you wish that uh, it was still kind of the way it was back then, or do you feel because just like everything else in life, it evolves that the game is just as good today than it was back then? Well, the game is definitely different. Oh yeah, uh, you know that's for sure. Um, when they took that red line, that really increased the speed of the game. Yep. Um, when, they, like I say, when the when they took away the red line, and and uh, you know nowadays too, the the players there. You know, they're in such good shape. It's a, it's a, you know, a year-round job and, and uh, whatnot. Um, I like watching playoff hockey. Uh, yes. You know when the, when the, you know when it comes down to uh, the real deal. I, mm-hmm. I like watching playoff hockey. Kind of reminds me of the days when we played uh, to some extent and. Uh-huh. Uh, um, you know, it's a different game now. The buildings are different. They're such big buildings. The right. atmosphere is different. You know, back years ago, whether it be the spectrum, whether it be, um, you know, uh, in Long Island, whether it be uh, in the old uh, Boston in the Garden, or, yep. you know, the buildings were smaller, the Chicago Stadium, yes. the fans on top of you, you know, uh, things were a lot different back then. Um Nowadays, it's it's a fast game. The, the equipment's like armor. Yeah. You know, um, everybody's a tough guy nowadays. Uh, they get away with a lot of uh, garbage compared to years ago. Oh, yeah. Without question. So uh, I'm going to have some rapid fire to close us out here, Daryl. So uh, just a few, whatever comes to mind, uh, please feel free to uh, expound. Uh, biggest influence in your life? Pardon me? Uh, your biggest influence in your life. Uh, any p- particular person, family member, hockey player, who was the one person that was the biggest influence? My parents. Mm. Understood. Uh, your favorite arena to play in? Um, Spectrum in Philadelphia. All right. What about Road Arena? I know you mentioned some of those, uh, Boston Garden, the Chicago Stadium. Was there any one of those arenas or another one that you uh, particularly like to play in? Probably uh, Winnipeg Arena because I had all my family and friends there watching. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Your favorite teammate to play with? Uh, Dave Brown. <laughs> yes, I figured that that was the answer. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you. The, uh, because, you know, we came up together and, and whatnot. But, you know, there's a big list. There's a big list of guys. Like, I... I you know, when you play with guys like Daryl Sittler and Clark and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, guys like that and then Stan Smeal and Harold Snaps and just, you know, everybody. It was uh, it was fantastic. 
Oh, I, I can only imagine just to know, like you said earlier, when you walk in the room and you see those guys there, I'm sure on the inside, it's like New Year's Eve. You're, you're just excited. You can't believe it. But you know that on the outside, you have to be professional and kind of hold it together because you're there for a reason. So uh, who's your hockey hero? Probably Gordie Howe. Mm. Mr. Hockey himself. Uh, the toughest guy you fought? Um, well, you know, there was, there was a, each one was tough, but uh, I would probably say Bob Probert. Mm. Yes, I remember that Joe Louis Arena. And obviously everybody knows, uh, of course, his career and what he did throughout the, the course of the league. I can only imagine what that was like being on the ice with him and then having to tussle with him. Uh, that must have been uh, an experience, to say the least. And as far as how that got started, and I'm sure it was just some words bandied about between you two, and then next thing you know, here you are uh, fighting against this monster here. Yeah, very, um, you know, and like I said, I said Proby, but, you know, the, all the guys that in our, I would say back in those days that you, you had, uh, um, you danced with, they were all tough. Oh, yeah. You know, you could throw all of them in a friggin' ring and one night <laughs> one guy would win the next night the other one would win. that's right you know they were all but uh i would say back back in that era um if i had to you know you hate saying this but if there was one not hate saying it because they were all tough mm-hmm. but i'd say dave brown was the toughest and i'm not being biased because he's my best friend but he he definitely i believe he was no, I agree with you a thousand percent. That guy was, he was a beast. He was just unstoppable. And not only that, but his size, the, the guy was a giraffe. Uh, he was just huge. He was, as you well know, uh, but just watching him from afar, he was almost impossible to fight because not only with him being left-handed, but because he was just enormous. Yeah, big, big man. And he'd come up over top. He'd come yep. up underneath. He'd, Absolutely. He was, and, the, and it wasn't like his hand was going slow. His arm was friggin' like a jackhammer. <laughs> no, of course. And, uh, but, you know, in saying that, too, you, there's a lot of other guys that were not as big as Dave Brown, but friggin' like, powerful, tough. Like, you take Wendell Clark and yep. Joey Kosher and, you know, the list go on and on. Every team had them. No, oh, they absolutely did. And sometimes two and three guys on the team, as you well know. And then my, exactly. and my last one is uh, your most memorable NHL moment. Um, I would probably say my first. I, I didn't score a lot, but uh, um, I, I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I could say my first goal, but, you know, I think, you know, your first NHL game, um, I don't know if I have a favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have so many great memories, you know, just, just being able to play in the league. That's it. Yeah. You know, being able to play in the league and, and, uh, play with, uh, um, you know, with, with guys that you've got a lot of respect for and, and respect for that you're playing against, right. you know, guys that you watched as kids and, and, uh, you know, you're playing against them. Christ playing against like uh, in the island debate against Big Clark Gillies. And, mm-hmm. uh, I remember watching him play junior with Regina. And uh, like I say, when I was a kid, watching all these guys play junior in Winnipeg uh, with their perspective teams. And now you're playing against them, and you're playing in the best league in the world. And um, and and it, and it's something that um, 
nobody can take away from you. No. You know, uh, you uh, you got a chance to to play against all these guys, and then you get to meet them now at you know the age that we're at now, and you right. can have a beer and talk and laugh and tell stories, and yeah. it's all part of it. It's amazing. Uh, Daryl, what can I tell you? This has uh, been truly an honor, a pleasure. It's tremendous. Uh, I don't even know what else to say. I could go on and on just for you spending over an hour with, with me, going through your career, everything that has uh, taken place. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to you and yours. And uh, again, just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for taking the time out to do this with me. Yeah, thank you, Jason. And uh, you have, uh, you and your family, uh, all the best to you, uh, at this time of the year and, and uh, into 21 and hopefully uh, we get into a better uh, place in, in 21 where we're all at now. Take without, care. Yes, without question. Many thanks to Daryl Stanley for joining me here on this podcast. What a conversation that he and I had. I hope you're able to gain a few nuggets from that that you look at it from a different perspective, that you're able to learn something along the way in reference to him growing up, playing in junior, making it into the league, having to overcome the accident that he suffered there in the 84-85 season, and even talking about the brawl, which I'm going to share with a little bit as to where I was that day in watching that May 14th, 1987. But we had recorded this actually a couple weeks before Christmas. So if it did seem a little dated, it wasn't that long ago that we had this discussion. So... It was one that I wanted to save for this time. I wanted to close out the year with this conversation. And it just happened to fall on a Thursday, which moving forward, and pretty much if you've listened to me going back to the beginning of the year, my goal is to not only put forth my opinions, thoughts, analysis on a Monday to start off the week so you could take that with you going into the week and then hear me the following week. But even more so, I want to have that Thursday guest. I want to dedicate that day to deliver to you what their experience has been in this particular case, Daryl's, where he talked about his trials and tribulations, what it was like to play in the league and everything. And I'm just grateful that he took the time out that he did to share that with me so I could share that with you guys. So I'll save the subscribing, rating, and reviewing for later on because that's the whole point of having you guys listen to what it is that not only I have to say about the world of sports, but more importantly, to have the former athlete or even the current one a broadcaster, writer, blogger, studio host, etc. Because that's the whole point of getting into this to be able to speak to those people and to get their takes on what it took to play not only on the field or on the ice, but even from the press box or from the booth, etc. So I want to bring up what took place there with that brawl May 14th, 1987. And you'll see it in the show notes. I'll have links posted, not only articles about it, but also the YouTube video, which is about an 11-minute video I believe it's in French. Uh, There was not an English version of this because remember, this game was played in Montreal. So the feed from this brawl was from the French-Canadian channel. I don't believe it was CBC. It must have been locally televised at that point. And remind you, this was before various camera angles. This was before the way technology is today where you could pretty much get an angle of any different spot on the ice or you know how technology is. I don't have to explain that to you. So here it was when this took place before the game. And i never forget watching this later that night. And this was pre-internet, people. So whatever highlights you got, it was literally 15, 20, maybe 30 seconds of this 
because they're not going to show the whole thing in its entirety, whether it be on SportsCenter or the late night news, whatever. So here it is now, 33 years later, and watching this and remembering this taking place where you had Dave Brown. If you watch the clip, you'll see he's one of the first guys to come out of the locker room from the Flyers, and he doesn't have a shirt on, and he's as big as a giraffe. I mean, as was well discussed here in this conversation I had with Daryl. But for that night and for everything that ensued with this brawl, it was almost not only just magical, and I know it's going to sound crazy for me to say that because the young fan, and again, not to go back and forth with them, they're not going to understand that. They're not going to understand why did Ed Hospodar, the Flyer defenseman, go after Claude Demieux for shooting a puck into the Flyers' net after warm-ups was over. And people could look at that and say, how petty was Hospodar to do that? Well, it's a territorial thing. You're just not going to do that. It was a code when it came to patrolling not only your part of the ice, but making sure that the opposing team wasn't going to impede in whatever rituals that they had. And with Claude Lemieux, once warm-ups was over, the last thing he would do was shoot the puck into the opposing team's net after everybody was off the ice. To compare that a little bit today, think about this. Just a couple of weeks ago where Juju Smith-Schuster was dancing at midfield on various teams' logos. So whether that was in Dallas whether that was up in Buffalo or even in Cincinnati, and we know what happened after that. He got clocked, big fumble, turned the ball over, Steelers lose the game, and then days after that, Juju had to submit and say, no more dancing on the logos anymore. Again, that's part of the code. So hockey, obviously it's going to be a little bit more lenient. What did Hospital do? He went ahead and beat the hell out of Claude Lemieux. And everything that ensued after that then led to not only just one suspension, if you could believe it, which Hospital got suspended for the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs, which were the seven games in the final right after that series against the Canadians, but there were no fines. Nobody else got suspended. I'm sure there were other fines throughout the team, but nothing major or nothing hefty that you would see if, it was, if this took place in this day and age. And after that, that's where all of the rules started to come out because that year... I believe was the first year of the instigator rule, which means that if you instigate the fight, you're going to get two minutes, which will lead to a power play. And then they slowly but surely started the curb fighting going back 33 years ago. And then bench clearing brawls, which were prevalent at that time, not that they were happening every game or every other game or every week, but if there was a melee on the ice and it started to get out of hand, the benches would clear. So because of this brawl, they actually instituted rules that the first person that comes off the bench, and mind you, this was before the game. This didn't even happen during the course of the 60 minutes during any of these periods. This was before the game. But because of this brawl, new rules came out that if you were to be the first person on the ice to join the fracas, that you're going to get suspended 10 games, your team will be suspended $100,000. Now, again, this is 1987. I'm sure the fine will probably be that, if not much more, here in 2020, or now 2021. And for them to put that out there at that time, that was the beginning of the slow death of fighting in the league. Now, yes, do we still have fighting in the league today? Absolutely. But all you need to know about today, as it was yesteryear, there were players in the leagues that still didn't wear helmets, that were grandfathered in, I believe somewhere in the mid-80s, players needed to start wearing helmets, but you had a couple of guys out there that didn't wear helmets. Brad Marsh on the Flyers, who was a defenseman 
on that team at that time did not wear a helmet. And he had a couple of players in that era at that time as well. Where today, there are only 26 players in the league that do not wear face shields. Where everybody in the league wears face shields, and I'm sure that that was instituted in the last few years just to avoid injuries, high sticks, whatever. But then that's also phased out the tough guy where we know and Daryl brought up back in the 2004-2005 strike or lockout, they took away the red line to open up the game more for more skill, more speed, etc. And we know that that was the beginning of the end to phase out the tough guy in the league. But I remember that as if it was literally last week and it was just unbelievable to see and I get that people are going to say, Jay Reels, come on. That was senseless. It's a black eye in the sport. It's awful. It's terrible. I'm sorry. I love it. I come from an era where your territory is your territory. And you're going to do anything to not only support your teammates, but at the same time, make sure that you're not going to get pushed over. And in a game like hockey, where as tough, as physical, even as intimidating as it was then, you had three and four tough guys on each team at that time. So this is what was going to happen if you had an incident like that. And everybody knows that Claude Lemieux was the biggest instigator known to man at that time. And he was a guy that, although he wasn't a fighter, but he did have his moments where he did fight people in the league. But it only was on his terms. He would never go after a heavyweight. He would never go after a big tough guy. But he was a guy that could fight if he had to. So he could have held his own there with Hospital, but he chose not to and... You saw what happened. Or if you haven't seen, please check out the link and you'll see for yourself. So that's what I got to say about that. Once again, I just hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope to have many more of these in the weeks and months to come. And now I can segue that to go ahead, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a note. You can even hit me up on any of my social media accounts, which I'll get to in a minute. But by subscribing, rating, and reviewing... All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And in turn, to generate interest for the guys like Daryl Stanley or someone that played Major League Baseball or in the NFL, NBA, a boxer, you name it. Because the more this podcast is out there, people will maybe look at this and say, wait a minute, this is a guy that is independent. He reaches out to certain sports people, players, athletes, broadcasters, etc. Hey, maybe I want to throw in my two cents here. And we get that it's an oversaturated market, but it doesn't matter because this is what I love to do and this is what I want to share with you guys. So to me, not only is this something that I love to do and I'm doing it for you, but even if there was nobody listening, I'd still be doing this. So with your contribution, I would greatly appreciate it if you could do that. It would mean the world to me. Also, leave a rating, post a review. That would be just as important as well. And then if you want to reach out, send me an email or DM on any of my social media accounts, whether it's J Reels on Instagram or the J Reels podcast on Twitter, J Reels one, just a number on Facebook, the J Reels podcast or an email at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, please send it this way. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys. And if you want to contribute to the podcast behind the scenes, any production that goes to it, whether it's the website equipment that I'm looking to upgrade Whatever that is, and whatever you want to contribute, you could do so on my Patreon page. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N, Patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. I'd be forever indebted and grateful for your contribution, whatever it is that you want to contribute on that front. And of course, I'm transparent. You could even ask me why, what am I using it for, whatever. I'm not going to hold back. I'll tell you exactly what it's for, and I'll even show receipts if that's the case. So, 
And for those who are listening for the first time or getting a chance to listen to what it is that I have to say, or in this case, to bring up this discussion, I'm not going anywhere, people. It's in my blood. It's in my DNA. I'm going on my third year doing this, and I plan to be here as long as the good Lord has me here. So if sports is what you like, sports is what you love, if you got a chance to dig what it is I have to say, not only tonight, but also in previous podcasts or episodes that you've heard, again, this is why I'm here, people, to talk about everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And before I give my peace, love, and God bless, happy, healthy, safe, sane, productive 2021. Listen, nobody's going to come to save you. Everything that's happening out there in this country and in the world doesn't mean that it's all going to go away. It's still going to be here, but it's a matter of how you handle it, how you deal with it. Make sure to try to block out all the outside noise as much as you can and try to work in on what's going to make you happy and what's going to make you prosperous. If you do that, you'll be a step ahead of the game. And that's all I want you guys to do is always be a step ahead. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your New Year's Eve. If you happen to listen to this before the ball drops into 2021, if not, may you have a happy, healthy one. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.